Welcome to Two Bees in a Podcast, brought to you by the Honeybee Research and Extension Laboratory at the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. It is our goal to advance the understanding of honeybees and beekeeping, grow the beekeeping community, and improve the health of honeybees everywhere. In this podcast, you'll hear research updates, beekeeping management practices discussed, and advice on beekeeping from our resident experts, beekeepers, scientists, and other program guests. Join us for today's program, and thank you for listening to Two Bees in a Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Two Bees in a Podcast. I'm really excited to be introducing with you today, Steve Jimenez, who is the mentor and founder of Hives for Heroes. Steve is out of Houston, Texas, and actually, Steve and I met at the American Beekeeping Federation in Jacksonville um, in January of 2023. And so we started talking, we were talking about his programs, we were talking about collaboration, and I'm excited to have him here today to talk about Hives for Heroes. And so, Steve, before we actually get into the Hives for Heroes, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you landed in the beekeeping world? Awesome. Well, thank you, Amy, and thank you, Jamie, for having us on this podcast. Very excited to be here to share what we do. And like you said, a little bit of background of myself is I'm a dad of three amazing girls, also, uh, back in the past, I was in the Marine Corps, deployed overseas, uh, came home, and I got into beekeeping because I was not in a great place and did not have a very good transition from my service. And a friend invited me to go to a beekeeping experience, and it completely changed my life. So I really credit bees to saving my life. And we just started talking about it. And before you knew it, people started getting involved, and we've created a large family throughout the United States. So I'm very honored and privileged to be able to represent about 35, 3,600 people around the United States inside of Hives for Heroes. Steve, I know that our listeners are going to really like this story because I've heard of similar efforts right around the country, veterans getting involved with beekeeping. And so I'm curious about how long ago was that? And of course, you're here to discuss Hive for Heroes. And so I'm going to ask you if you don't mind telling us a little bit about the history of that organization as well. Yeah, great. Uh, great question and a, and, a, and a consistent one that we have, which is when did we start? Like, how did this journey begin? And that was in 2018, when in 2018, my friend, like I mentioned, had, had invited me to an experience here in Houston, Texas. And it was really quite cool. We go on to this rooftop over a yoga studio. So there's a lot of positive energy there. And uh, we're suiting up, right? And we're suiting up and I'm starting to feel these things of um, anxiety and like fear of the unknown and things of that nature. But I really trusted the people in which I was with. And so as we started cracking open these hives, there was just this amazing beauty of these bees, the sounds, the movements, all the kind of overwhelming experience, yet somehow incredibly calm. And so the friends that we had that were there, there was a handful of us and we started talking about what this looks like for ourselves individually. So almost like peer-to-peer therapy, if you, if you think about it. And then how to uh, create something that could bring others into it. And back then it was really, how can we do this in Houston? How can we be an organization? And it was a loose organization, but how can we be a club? A bunch of friends that got together, um, that spent time together learning this amazing art and science of beekeeping. Um, and it kind of just spun and spun and spun before it, you knew it. We had a, a small Instagram page just for ourselves so we can share with each other. 
Um, and then we, of course, created the 501c3 that was in August of 2018. Um, and then COVID hit later on, right? So this, everything kind of went, I would say down, but not really down because we thought that this was not going to allow us to be together, but truly inspirational when you think about COVID shutting everything down, but us being outside in nature, six foot away from each other, we got to still share these experiences with the bees and we actually grew as an organization. So sharing our stories was the biggest part of the growth of Hives for Heroes by literally being able to put ourselves out there, uh, overcome the fear of uh, maybe like public speaking, for example, for a lot of us, um, overcome um, getting outside of your own doors and becoming a, a really awesome family. And as we continue to grow throughout the United States, Nevada was actually, Nevada, I apologize. Nevada was our first state um, that really latched on. And uh, Miss Debbie Gilmore out there uh, invited us to their conference. And before you knew it, we were speaking at conferences all over the country, looking for mentors throughout the organization to connect those veterans to mentors throughout the United States. Yeah, so I know, you know, there are a lot of really great resources out there, um, great resources in general, but also catered to veterans. We at the University of Florida, we work with the SkillBridge program, which is with the Department of Defense, and um, we provide opportunities for veterans to be able to come and work with us for six months, you know, before they retire from the military and kind of transition into homesteading, you know, after their time in the military. And, you know, there, again, there are so many great resources, lots of programs, lots of workshops out there. I was wondering if you could tell us about how Hives for Heroes collaborates with other organizations. Maybe tell us a little bit more about Hives for Heroes in general. You know, what does that look like when someone becomes involved and how, how does the program support veterans and first responders? Wow. Amy, that's a loaded, amazing. I know. I just asked so many questions to you. I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> Usually it's a, just one. <laughs> it's so good. Maybe we have a conversation back and forth on this to see how we can best utilize all these um, I think that first part was there are a lot of resources out there um, that are available to veterans and first responders um, throughout the United States. And all these organizations have, I would say, like either core values or a specific mission set. So when it comes to a veteran going and looking for those or trying to find something that's right for them, uh, really look into their background. And I'm glad y'all are asking these questions because, again, Hives for Heroes run by veterans uh, and first responders, founded by veterans and first responders. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to be because you know you're kind of home. Um, and when this, when this organization uh, took off, it's really about building relationships and having family outside of your own. Because oftentimes, as, as, as our heroes understand, you don't always uh, uh, pick your family, but in these circumstances, you actually get to be around people of you know, high character, high caliber, um, hardworking, diligent, dedicated, disciplined. There's a lot of really cool um, types of words that we can use out on the intangibles uh, that are for our heroes. Uh, but I would look into the background of what you are specifically looking for. So if it's maybe an all-female organization, look that up on Google and then go through their paperwork and documentation. Like look up that, that uh, organization and then 990. 990 on that is going to share with you all the stuff that they actually put their money towards. And as a 501c3, it's open documentation for you to do your research on those organizations. So that's a cool um, like tool 
in order for you to know where you're going and what you're doing. Um, Google is a great platform for trying to find uh, resources that are to you, but the best platform you have is your peer. So on our Facebook group page, for example, uh, we have a ton of beekeeping stuff, but we are a people organization. So we have a ton of people on there sharing their resources and their experiences of organizations that might have supported them in the past or organizations that are growing and are, can support them in the future. We are also building out a resource page, which should be out in the next week or so. And that's going to have the state resources by state um, for, for us on the beekeeping side specific. We'll have all the national organizations there as resources as well. And then we're going to have veteran and first responder specific resources. So we'll go through and again, word of mouth, figure out some awesome organizations that are, that are out there to support um, your transition um, or the veterans transition or the first responders transition from service. And they'll be able to click on those and have direct links. We don't want any kind of compensation or anything from that. We just want the veteran to have the resources that they need in order to succeed. And that could be a club, a, a school, um, maybe even just the VA number, right? Sometimes we forget that there are suicide hotlines out there. There are the, the VA resources. There is Wounded Warrior Project. There is Hope for the Warriors and things of that nature that are there for your success. And since we're talking about those resources, it's very important to understand that our numbers for suicide are very high in the veteran and first responder community, which is why we do what we do. We want to be there for each other and not make a permanent decision on temporary circumstances. So how we do that is talk to each other a lot, right? But there's also sometimes where you need support outside of ourselves. We are not therapists or anything of that nature. We're not medical representation of anything. So we want to make sure that you have this, the resources that you need to succeed, and those will be on our website as well. Um, those numbers include upwards of 45 veterans per day taking their life. The VA will report 22 a day, but there's some studies out there that say it is higher, and we believe that's just not right. And we believe there is a solution for that. For us, uh, we believe in the healing power of nature and peer-to-peer -peer support as a people organization that we are, as the conduit of bees help us through this, um, but really that is entirely too high. And we do, with our veterans and first responders deserve better than that, and we want to be able to be a resource for that. Gosh, I've got so many follow-up questions I want to ask, but I'll I'll just try to keep it simple and, and keep it to script. I'll I'll ask two one off script and one that you and either you had agreed upon before we started. But the one off script is, you know, this is such a great uh, thing to do. It's really neat to see you know, essentially the he healing power of beekeeping in the lives of individuals. And so I'm curious, are you aware of similar efforts in places outside of the U.S.? And incidentally, my motivation for asking that question is. You know, we have a lot of international listeners and they're hearing you talk about, you know, this this system that you have set up for veterans here in the U.S. or first responders in the U.S. But are you aware of other similar systems globally? Um, the, the full answer is not as much as I'd like to be, but we have been reached out to by multiple uh, countries. Oh, that's so great. So we started working with Australia. Canada has reached out with a cohort as well. Uh, the U.K., India, and um, Ethiopia. So there are many countries that are looking at this, again, as you mentioned, the healing power of bees, the nature about it, getting ourselves off the couch, getting ourselves outside, there's healing in that in and of itself. 
So going outside, being in the sun, having a positive um, hobby maybe turned into a career, could be. Um, that's not for us to decide, but it's getting out into nature, disconnecting. Although we're on a podcast right now, this is an amazing tool uh, for communication, but it's also not what we should rely on. So being able to go outside, talk to your friends, um, do something that's incredibly rewarding, and there is that healing power in and of itself. And we're healing from trauma in a lot of ways. And that's not just veterans and first responders. That's just the human condition. Healing from trauma is something that is very important to do to, to have a fulfilled life. So as we start working with these other organizations, we're looking at uh, not only supporting them in their growth, but for example, Hives for Heroes in those countries were, are actually run by uh, people in their countries. It's not an American going to their country to then tell them how to do it. It's us guiding and supporting through their culture and the things that they might find important that we don't even know about, which is also why we have state leaders all across the United States, because we from headquarters cannot see things that are going on all across the United States, but those that have feet on the ground can They are already involved. They're already um, committed to their communities, and they can see those things that we can't. But now it gets fed back and we can provide resources to those areas that are specific to their areas. So it's a, we call ourselves a hyper local global organization. And as it continues to grow with our emphasis based on sustainability and conservation, um, again, it's the people, the network and the relationships that end up making the mission and overall vision of the organization successful. I really love that. So how can veterans and first responders become involved I mean, you mentioned already that you can find out about your organization by going to your website, but how can they join this effort? Joining the effort as a, a veteran or first responder in the specific instances of beekeeping would be going to hivesforheroes.com. You're going to fill out a very simple form. The form does not have a PII all over it. What we're trying to do is get your address so we can connect you to a mentor in your local area within 30 miles. This is hugely important because our core values, as we haven't spoken about them yet, but we run the organization on our core values. And it is connection, purpose, relationships, and service. And we do all those things legally, morally, and ethically correct. And we ask anybody in our organization, if you have a question about legal, moral, or ethical, then don't do it. If you feel a gut feel that it might not be moral or ethical, don't do it. So what we ask for is just go to the website, Put your information in and uh, Charlie will end up matching you throughout the United States. Again, within 30 miles, connection is the piece of actually connecting to each other. You're connecting to our organization, which means you'll connect to the Facebook group page. You'll connect to us on social media, but you'll also have an email chain start going. And oftentimes we'll end up reaching out and calling you because we just want to say hi. And that's a good thing. We're just trying to have that connection piece again. Um, we say connect to yourself again, because oftentimes we forget about connecting to ourselves, connect to each other and connect to nature, all hugely important. And then we have our purpose, right? So we're filling, we're fulfilling a purpose bigger than ourselves. Being able to steward bees is fulfilling a purpose bigger than yourself, whether that's through pollination or conservation, or just your neighbor getting some honey, that is filling a purpose, but it's also that healing purpose for us. 
And then we're building those relationships. So because you fill out that application, you are now starting to build a relationship as we can connect you to somebody in your local area. We'll also give you other resources, but connecting to that person in that area, you want to literally build a relationship in your community and you want it face-to-face. It's super important. So we can have relationships all over, but it'd be really nice to get with a mentor in your area that already has the gear, the equipment, the time, the knowledge. It now lowers your cost of entry, right? You're just getting PPE and, um, you know, a bee suit and gloves. You're going into their environment as the mentor, and they're teaching you the ways in which they've done it. We ask our mentors to teach as they wish they would have been taught, which is, is kind of a fun twist on things. And then that service, serving others. So our mentors are serving, our newbies are serving the community, our staff, our board are all serving the mission. So the mission becomes, um, you know, front leaning, right? Connecting veterans and first responders to beekeeping throughout the United States, providing connection, purpose, and relationships through access, resources, and funding for your success. Gee, Steve, you're just so great at like, you're just so great at speaking about the organization and all the benefits that it does for veterans and first responders. And it just, I can just tell that you're very passionate about the organization. You're passionate about connecting, building those relationships and really helping, helping others. So, so thank you for that. Yeah, we have a lot of people to thank for that. The organization would be nothing if it was singular. It wouldn't be anything if it was just in Houston. I mean, you have hundreds, like you as the veteran, you as this first responder have hundreds of leaders and I'm not talking about just the people in the organization that are that are utilizing the services, which we love, but there are hundreds of leaders in communities all over the United States that are doing all these things, boots on the ground, caring about you that you haven't even seen or might not even meet. But we know your story because our stories are very similar. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a unique story with different circumstances pertaining to individuals. And so when we feel that uh, loss of mission, loss of purpose, loss of relationships that you were either overseas or in training with, those things really matter. And as we transition from the service, um, we talk about two different types of people, right? You have the veteran that is coming back from maybe eight months or 12 month deployments. And then you have the first responder that has to come home every day, maybe seeing that trauma on a daily basis and having to cope with that differently. So as we, as we speak about going into a hive, it's very similar to a, uh, a veteran or first responder gearing up, right? Going to work, putting on that uniform, gearing up, maybe kicking in a door, right? Trusting your gear, yourself and your buddies, following a process in which you know, right? Having complete chaos, but still following that process, um, working together to, uh, to, accomplish a mission, and then you find confidence in that, right? And that confidence brings either success or joy or whatever that looks like to you. So we find it very similar to suiting up, trusting yourself, your gear, and your buddies, walking through an unknown situation, following an amazing process, buttoning up, find success, joy, happiness, whatever that looks like for you, even confidence. Um, And those things really matter. And that's what the organization is about. It has, we joke around, it has very little to do with beekeeping because we want to provide the beekeeping platform um, for connection, but the beekeeping experts are really not us. We're a people organization. Beekeeping experts are you guys, right? That's why we um, went into a collaboration with y'all about, we don't want to do the education. 
y'all got that. Y'all are amazing. Y'all are like the best in the world at it. So why would we want to do that? Um, so it's been it's re been really cool to stick to our strengths and then allow others to come in and bring their strengths and build really a world-class organization. Yeah, and that kind of leads me into um, the next question that I have is for beekeepers who are not veterans and not first responders, how can they be involved? How can they support? Um, what, you know, what can beekeepers do to help? That's a that's a wonderful question. There's a lot of information. Uh, again, as I said, do your research. So look at us online, look at everything uh, that you need so you can feel comfortable working with us at Hives for Heroes. Um, what we need currently is a lot of scholarship dollars. In on September 15th, we are having a clay shoot here in Texas. We are looking for uh, corporate sponsors still, so title sponsors and things of that nature. We want to be clear, the money is going to scholarships for the BU scholarship, which is on the website, and the Be More scholarship. The BU scholarship is a scholarship to all veterans and first responders in the United States. So I'm saying it again, all veterans and first responders in the United States to get education from the 13 master beekeeping programs. This is huge, right? We are giving you the opportunity, right? Because of our amazing donors and the amazing sponsors in which we have, they are going to be paying for your education as a reimbursement. So I'll be really clear on that as well. Reimbursement means you are putting your skin in the game and you are paying up front. And every time you succeed, you're going to be rewarded by the refund of those costs. Hugely important to understand this is an earned organization, not a giving organization. We are not just giving dollars out. We want you to earn it. There's a sense of satisfaction. There's reward in that. But at the end of the day, all your education will be covered at no cost to you. So thanks to amazing uh, organizations like Hewlett Packard Enterprises, Technique FMC, family uh, offices, uh, financial practices, um, uh, foundations and such of that nature. They're really grateful. I mean, they're really gracious and able to provide literally scholarships for all veterans and first responders throughout the United States. So that clay shoot is going to be September 15th in Rochere in Texas. Again, we are still looking for more sponsors. So if you're interested, please go to the website at hypesforheroes.com and look under the clay shoot tab and you'll have all the information that you need. Secondly, and the, uh, the mentors, we need more mentors. So if you're listening to this, on, on, please go to the website and say, hey, you know what? I'll serve one person, one person in my area. That's hugely important, creating a relationship in your local area. We are always looking for mentors. We have significantly more newbies than mentors, right? There's more people that want to learn beekeeping, which is beautiful and awesome, than there are to teach. And as our beekeeping population continues to age, we need to pass off knowledge. One way of that is through the education programs, such as y'all have created uh, at University of Florida in the Master Beekeeping Program. Another way is simply mentorship hand-to-hand, -hand, um, working together in a yard and mentoring each other and passing off tricks of the trade or whatever whatever it is that you think. Um, we would be very grateful if you'd go to the mentor page and sign up as a mentor. Um, any other kind of collaborations that you like, uh, we're very much open to. We have a, a form on the website under the collaborations tab, and we're looking for uh, institutions and universities like we have with you guys. We look for uh, corporate programming, uh, corporate hive management, and also public and private 
collaborations. We have done things such as uh, co-branding on mead, co-branding on beer, uh, co-branding on products. We've worked with organizations that they do givebacks of profits for their organizations. Um, and so we're very, very grateful for all those that have given. It's not just the mentoring and beekeeping, but we got to sustain the organization. And one of those ways is those, those dollars that many people can contribute just a few bucks and then um, overarching things get better and better for the veteran and first responder. Amazing. So as we start to wind down, was there anything else that you wanted to share with our audience? Well, first is a massive thank you to everybody that's been a part of the organization. Um, we are all one small part to this organization and we love how it operates. Um, we get to listen to each other, talk to each other and just continue to better each other. Um, we want to thank you guys for having us on uh, Two Bees in a Podcast. Um, Dr. Ellis is somebody that I've wanted to meet for a long time. Amy had the pleasure of uh, finally meeting you in Florida. So thank you uh, for the opportunity to represent Hives for Heroes and literally the hundreds of leaders and the thousands of people throughout the United States. We are very, very grateful. Um, we have grown at a, at a large and a, and a quick rate, uh, but we believe we have the right structures in place in order to keep being successful and actually grow more. And, uh, you know, most of the things that I would have is questions for you guys, and maybe the audience doesn't know stuff like that, but it would be like, what drives you to beekeep? How did, how did Dr. Ellis come up with this whole master beekeeping program that is now one of the best in the world? Like, I, I have more questions for y'all than I pro y'all probably have for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could we could do a whole nother podcast episode. I wish I could say that I came up with a master beekeeper program idea. Um, you know, it existed, I believe, first at Cornell and other universities had done. And I was from Georgia and worked at the University of Georgia and saw Keith Delaplane do mm -hmm. one in Georgia. And so we when I moved to Florida, we just started a similar program. I think one of the greatest kind of accomplishments we've made with a master beekeeper program is moving it online. And, and, and that's allowed us to just grow it really exponentially. And, and, and of course, we just love the fact that you guys are advocating uh, education for, for veterans and first responders and making it possible. And we're just happy to be a part of it in that capacity. And I know my colleagues around the country would say very similar things. We just love providing content and educational opportunities for folks whose lives is going to change so significantly. Uh, I wow, very eloquently put, and we we greatly appreciate the online forum. One of the issues that we have in the veteran community is uh, those that may or may not suffer from PTS often don't want to be in large cities, for example. And so you move to rural areas, and then the the amount of resources really aren't available to you. And so we we've come up with that issue just by trying to find a singular mentor in their in their local area because you move to you know northern Montana you want to be left alone but then you still need resources to be successful, and so programs uh, like you got um, there at Florida, and that y'all are continuously sharing that, right? I see content from y'all on a consistent basis. I don't know who the mastermind behind that is, but it's really good. Um, you have the two B's in a podcast, you have the Facebook group page going, you have things posting on a consistent basis, you have your newsletters. Those are all really good things uh, that we forward and we share. And in the future, as we have that resource page that, that we were talking about, there's also going to be an events page. So that events page from all our state leads is going to be uh, basically this massive source for anybody, not just a veteran or first responder, it's completely free and open uh, on the website, go to the events and you can find anything that's in the country. 
Um, and so if there's a, a webinar or something like that from you guys, or like you said, Georgia, North Carolina does a lot online, um, you know, all the way to the, the commercial beekeepers, all those things are pieces and parts to the success of what that individual wants to drive down their levels. Um, some people might not like education. Okay. It's an opportunity, not a directive, right? Some people want to go left seat, right seat with a beekeeper. Awesome. Some people don't want to do that at all. So we just want to provide opportunity and, and options for those to pick their own path and create their own identity in beekeeping. Steve, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. We're really excited to have you. Thank you so much for everything that you do for veterans, for first responders. Um, thank you for your service. And thank you to all the veterans and first responders out there who are helping organizations, helping each other, being there for each other. Um, and it's it's really great to see that we are able to connect through beekeeping. So Steve, thank you so much again for everything that you've done. Um, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Dr. Ellis. Appreciate it. See you next time. Well, I was happy to have Steve on today. I always, you know, again, just listening to him talk about the organization and how passionate he is. That's what we need in this world, Jamie, right? I, I just feel like we just need more people who are excited about bringing all these people together for a great cause, especially when it impacts those who are serving our country and those who are just out there fighting for us. Yeah. You know, you said it right there. You used the word passion. And, I, and one of the things that popped in my mind is that Steve's very passionate about what he does. Mm -hmm. uh, another word that I'll use, which is a, <laughs> a social insect word, which is altruistic. He's altruistic. He's doing things for other people without a clear uh, advantage for himself. And I, mm -hmm. you know, the, the news these days is so full of all the bad things that's happening. It's nice to see people can care for each other and really want to help. In this particular case, it's called Hives for Heroes because as veterans and first responders, you know, folks who regularly deal with very traumatic situations. And Steve is just interesting and 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 grounding those folks and helping them uh, love something and build a community. And it's just really great. It's neat that bees can be the center of that. And I'm just really excited about the work he's doing. And I know similar work is going on all over the U S and all over the world. It's just exciting to see it. Yeah. And the other thing too, is I don't know if our listeners were paying attention to that part, but every single veteran and first responder in the United States can go through these master beekeeper programs for free, which, you know, it's not free in the sense that they're just given to them, you know, they pay for it up front, but they do get reimbursed. And I think that that's, I mean, that's, that's wild. That's extreme. That's like really intense. You know, that's, I'm hoping a lot of people will take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. I love the idea of earning it. Right. So it's not like they pay for the individual's registration in advance because then the individual could either do it or not do it or slowly do it mm -hmm. or whatever. They're like, if you pay for it and you do it, we will reimburse you full cost for it. And I just love that idea. You have to earn it, but once you've earned it, your efforts will be rewarded. And, and gosh, what a, what a way to do it. I just, this just really, really a lot of forethought went into that. And I, and I really like that idea. Absolutely. So with our resources, we will be sure to link the website on our social media page, also on our additional notes and resources so that the veteran and first responder beekeepers or soon to be beekeepers out there uh, will know where to go for that information. 
It's everybody's favorite game show, Stomp the Chomp. Welcome back, everybody, to the question and answer segment. Jamie, the first question, this person was doing an inspection. They did not see a single egg. There was some patchy capped brood. There was some drone brood. There was almost fully developed larva. Um, this person is planning to buy a mated queen and install her. So basically, they're just wondering, you know, is this the right course of action? If they haven't seen an egg, um, you know, what should they do? Should they buy a mated queen? Is it going to succeed? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so what I suspect a colony is queenless, of course, this is a little bit more difficult for me to say, because you know, I've been keeping bees for so long and I'm, I can find queens. But the questioner here says they've been unable to find the queen. But I would say when, when I suspect I have a queenless colony, the first thing I do is look for eggs. If I do not see eggs, then I can assume that there has not been a queen in that hive in at least in the past three days. And while I can't guarantee that there's not a queen in this individual's colony, if you listen to the story, right, you know, I didn't see a single egg. There was patchy cat brood, there was drone brood, and there was a bit of almost fully developed larvae. So it sounds like very little brood. All of the brood that's in there is older. There were no eggs, and there's a couple of supersedure cells. All of these are signals to me that the colony is probably queenless. If I saw this, I would do one of three things. I would either let them make a new queen with their one of their supersedure cells. And if I choose this option, I would go through all the supersedure cells available in the nest and I would move remove all of them except the largest one. This is an overgeneralization, but generally speaking, the larger the queen cell, the better the queen, right? They got more attention, they're a bigger queen, et cetera. So I'd remove all the supersedure cells except one. So that's option one. Option two is I would remove all the supersedure cells and purchase a queen, which is what the questioner is asking, is that okay to do? That's certainly okay to do. The only catch with this is if your queen is still present, but not laying, the bees might kill the queen that you purchase to put into that hive. And so it's a bit of a gamble. You'd want to make sure, for sure, that she's not present. Option number three is if I had any nucleus colonies or nukes available, I might use a nuke to requeen this hive, right? So basically my argument is you need to requeen it. You need to either let it happen on mm -hmm. its own, option one, buy one and put it in there, option two, or requeen it with a nuke that you might have, option three. You know what? We've been kind of playing around with um, queen rearing here, Jamie. I've been playing with grafting, and I will say I think that's my life calling, grafting queens. You know, you'd probably be really good at the queen rearing process. I think, you know, it's it's one of those processes that you've got to think a lot about and time it and meticulous. And I think you've got all those skills necessary. And I'm just Thank wondering you. Thank what, you. Your, what, what your queen business would be called. What would my queen? I don't know. I don't know. We've got to think about that. So if any Please listeners have Amy's ideas. Queen. No, <laughs> no. no, 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 no. It'll be something way more original and fun. All right. Well, so for the... <laughs> What were you going to say? Queens by Amy. <laughs> original. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, original. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the next question that we have is about um, Apis mellifera capensis. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about, I think just in the past, we have a lot of questioners asking about workers laying, just workers laying, laying workers. And so uh, 
Apis mellifera capensis is a little bit different and we've kind of gone into it, but can you talk a little bit more about Apis mellifera capensis? You are in South Africa as we record this right now. And so can you tell everybody what it is? Are you working with it while you're in South Africa and how is it different from other subspecies of Apis mellifera? Yes. So it is funny and serendipitous that I get this question now because I literally am, am sitting in an office at Rhodes University in Makanda, South Africa, um, where Kaylin Kleckner is a PhD student in our lab and I are here setting up some field research for her. And the reason it's serendipitous is because just like you note, Amy, one of the subspecies of honeybee that lives here in South Africa is the Cape honeybee. It has a distribution from kind of Cape Town, which is Southwest South Africa, along the Southern tip of South Africa, about, you know, almost to Port, Port Elizabeth. If you look at a map, if you're listening to me out there and look at a map, you'll kind of see its distribution kind of along that little stretch along the coast. It's a really interesting honeybee. It's one of, you know, over 30 subspecies of honeybees, right? We use Apis mellifera ligustica in the States. That's the Italian honeybee. There's Apis mellifera mellifera, the German honeybee, Apis mellifera scutellata, the bee at home that they call um, the killer bee, the Africanized honeybee. Well, Apis mellifera capensis is just one of those 30 some odd subspecies. The interesting thing about capensis, though, is when while most colonies of Apis mellifera go queenless and their workers start to lay, those workers produce drone offspring. Workers cannot mate, therefore they cannot fertilize their eggs. So laying workers produce drone offspring. So while most workers for the vast majority of the other subspecies produce drone offspring when they become layers, mellifera capensis, Apis mellifera capensis, the cape honeybee, actually can produce female offspring. And I think the magic in this whole thing is that cape honeybees cannot mate. Their workers cannot mate. So it's not like they're fertilizing their eggs to produce female offspring. So there's another thing that happens for them to be able to produce female offspring. The process is called Thelotokis parthenogenesis. So parthenogenesis is essentially the process by which an unfertilized individual can become an adult. So drones are produced through arenotokis parthenogenesis. That is how they come into existence. Well, workers come into existence through parthenogenesis through a process called philotoki. And to shorten it and hopefully make it understandable for all our listeners all around the world, we know that there are two types of cell division. You probably learned about this in biology, right? Mitosis is when regular cells divide, your skin cells, your kidney cells, your heart cells, et cetera. So they divide through mitosis. Meiosis is the process of producing sex cells. So sperm and eggs are produced through meiosis. There is, so, so we know that eggs and sperm are haploid, right? They carry half of the chromosomes that the parent has. The same is true for queens. When a queen lays an egg, it's getting only half of her chromosomes. And a drone contributes sperm, right? And that sperm is haploid. The queen's egg is haploid. And when you put two haploid cells together, you get a diploid cell, which produces a worker or a female. Well, cape workers don't do it that way. In the process of creating a haploid egg through meiosis, there is one step where half of the chromosomes in the, in the nucleus don't split into a second cell 
they just become inactive and go to the edge of the nucleus. That inactive set of chromosomes is called the polar body. Well, in cape bees, that polar body can reactivate and come back down within that nucleus and essentially recreate the double set of chromosomes that you need to have a female. So without fertilization, cape workers can lay diploid eggs. And again, it's because half of the chromosomes that become became inactive and form this polar body reactivate and you, you know essentially become that second set of chromosomes in the nucleus. So essentially, when cape workers lay eggs, they are laying eggs that are exact clones of themselves. Their offspring are clones of themselves. And to make cape workers even more interesting, let's just say for the sake of this discussion that there's five cape workers laying eggs in the nest. All right, let's say the colony's mm -hmm. gone queenless. These five workers are laying eggs. The offspring from worker A can detect eggs from worker B, C, D, and E, and she can selectively abort those eggs in favor of her own mother's eggs. And that process is called policing. So within a colony of Cape honeybees that has laying workers, there are almost subcolonies within the nest where in this little territory, you've got laying worker A and her offspring policing and keeping out eggs from other laying workers. And in this territory over here, you get workers offspring from laying worker B doing the same thing. You almost get subcolonies within a colony. So this, this is an amazing process, but it's also detrimental here because Cape workers can ex, you know, leave their colonies and move into colonies of other honeybee subspecies and take over those colonies. They're considered um, social parasites. They take over these other colonies and those other colonies can eventually die. So Cape work honeybees are absolutely fascinating and it all boils down to two things, their ability to produce females without mating through that process called Thelotokis parthenogenesis and their ability to police eggs, which contribute to this social parasitism that can be quite a problem for beekeepers. Okay. I have one comment and one question. So my comment is that that was probably the most scientific answer on a Q&A <laughs> that you've ever had on all of the Q&As that we've had since 2020. That was my it's comment. Hard, you know, it's such a <laughs> complex system. It's hard not to be scientific when I answered it, but you're right. I mean, it was. I'm like trying to keep up, like thinking about biology and thinking about meiosis and mitosis and like my brain hurts. And I just like immediately go back to all the days that I had to do an exam in those classes. Um, but my question is, so I've, I've actually had this question a lot when we talk about apis uh, mellifera capensis is why even have a queen? I mean, what's the point of even having a queen if, you know, those workers are creating drones, uh, sorry, the workers are creating basically clones of themselves. That's a very important question, Amy. And the bio, that's a, it's a great question from the biological perspective. And it boils down to the really simple fact. Even though workers can produce workers, multiple laying workers cannot keep up the egg output of a single laying queen. So even though colonies of laying workers can produce female offspring, the colony will ultimately dwindle and die. In fact, here in South Africa, they call it the Cape Bee 
phenomenon. It's actually a problem here so that when laying workers move into other colonies and take over those colonies, the colonies ultimately doomed. It might happen slower since they're able to produce some offspring that are fully functioning offspring, but it's ultimately doomed. To make it even more interesting, colonies can produce queens from Cape laying workers the same way they can produce workers from Cape laying workers. So in theory, they can requeen themselves through their workers, but of course, why would they want to? Because they think they have a queen because they've mm -hmm. got laying workers. So it's really a fascinating biology here. We're not, we're not here actually studying that, although those bees are just right next door and maybe we will jump into it someday, but it's, it's just one of the benefits of being able to work in South Africa and see these truly amazing bees. So cool. Okay. So the last question I have, so we're kind of bouncing back and forth. The first question was about, you know, whether we should add a, or how we should add a new queen. The second one was about Apis mellifera capensis. This third question is back to queen. Um, so the questioner is, is looking through queen rearing texts. They're looking at when to put the queen cell into their mating nukes. Um, and so they're wondering what happens if a beekeeper purchases a queen cell, uh, or they're just, what happens if we put queen cells into a mating nuke earlier? Yeah, this is an interesting question as well, because if you've ever grafted queens, you know, you're grafting queens that are somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 20 hours old. That's kind of the ideal range. So that means they've already been an egg for three days and now they're half a day to a day old. So they're somewhere in the neighborhood of three and a half to four days old, if you count the egg stage. And you want to time the development and the movement of that queen cell amongst the different colonies, right? The starter colony, the finisher colony, the mating nuke in a pretty regimented timeline. And a lot of folks say, well, you know, why, you know, once that cell is capped, why can't I go ahead and move it to the mating nuke? Why do I have to wait a certain amount of days? And the reason for that is, is right after the cell is capped, that queen is actually pretty stable. In fact, she's stable while the cell is not capped, unless you shake it hard and she falls out of that queen cell. Once it's capped, you've got about a one day-ish grace period where the queen is pretty stable. But then she enters a phase over the next few days where she is very sensitive to movement or jostling. Jostling those cells around too much can cause her to fall within that cell, lay up against the sidewall of the cell in a way that's not great or whatever. And ultimately, this can damage her wing production. It can damage a lot of the characteristics. And so the reason that queen producers kind of have it timed to not move those cells into mating nukes until there's about a two days or a day left to go is because they're trying to get past that sensitive stage of queen development in that cell. So basically it's okay to move cells around pretty, pretty easily through the first day of it being kept, but then you enter a few a day window there where you don't want to move the cells at all because that can damage that developing queen. And that's generally why the recommendations come out. Now, of course, if you're really careful with the cells, it's not a big deal, but if you're having to move the cells from one location to another or walk them across the yard, there's just a lot of things that can go wrong. So the general recommendation is just not to do it until a day or two before that cell, that queen is due to emerge. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a, in a previous episode, I think it was episode 135, we had Ellen talking to us about shipping queen cells. Remember that? And so I, um, I would, I yeah, that. I would encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that episode um, to just discuss a little bit more about that whole process. So yeah, because she's going to no doubt talk Amy about like those sensitive days. Mm -hmm. That's a really good recommendation on your part. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. 
<laughs> All right, everybody. Applause, applause. <laughs> Thank you so much for your questions. Don't forget to send your questions into our email. We love receiving the questions that you all have. It's fun for us to go through the questions and answer them on air. So we appreciate it and hope to see more questions soon. Thank you for listening to Two Bees in a Podcast. For more information and resources on today's episode, check out the Honeybee Research Lab website at ufhoneybee.com. If you have questions you want answered on air, email them to us at honeybee at ifas.ufl.edu or message us on social media at ufhoneybeelab on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. This episode was hosted by Jamie Ellis and Amy Boo. This podcast is produced and edited by Amy Boo and Sarah Sowers. Thanks for listening and see you next week.